Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Hope you guys are having a good day wherever you are. I hope you're out exercising because before this pandemic hit, all of us said, God, I wish I had you know, a shorter commute or more time to exercise. And so if you're not, here's a friendly little reminder to get on it. But that's not what we're here to talk about. You know, we like to cover the methods and technologies for driving growth. And today on the program, very, very excited to have you guys meeting, maybe for the very first time, or maybe a lot of you know her, Megan Eisenberg from Trip Actions. Megan is a chief marketing officer. She and I have known each other now. I feel like, Meg, it's 12 years before I jump into that. Let me say hi. How are you? I'm good. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. You said you're in a pod, which means unless you've installed these at your house, are you at the Trip Actions office today or somewhere else? I am. I've been at our Trip Actions Palo Alto office for the last few months. Uh, oh, off of Page Mill. We've got a large footprint that we can socially distance. Very nice. I want you to know I have never spent a day at home since COVID. I've been at the office every working day here carrying the baton although my team definitely stayed at home for those of us that are working out of our headquarters uh, for the most part they're all back they're moving they're moving in and out but uh yeah we're pretty isolated like you do you like my pod you said you liked my pod with all my gear it's amazing i'm very impressed very hd you guys can't see this because it's a podcast unless you're Go to demandgen.tv, watch a few videos, and you'll see my setup. But Meg said, she goes, I want to know all your gear because it looks really good. Gear envy for sure. Gear envy. Well, if any of you want to learn about all the tools that I use here in my makeshift studio, which is my office, I'm happy to share them with you because I did definitely spent a lot of time researching. Um, Meg, when we, quote, first met, as I remember, and you wouldn't, you were on stage. I was... I think at a conference, or it's just a very memorable egg moment. And you know when you're in a conference and shit's kind of boring and you pull out your phone because you're like, I might as well use the time for something? Well, you got introduced, and I'm like, okay, let's hear how the next speaker is. And I put down my phone, and I really enjoyed the session. And I can only imagine, nobody should put their phone down now because they're listening to a podcast probably on their phone. But um, I was really impressed with not just how articulate you were and how great a presence that you commanded on the stage, but the ideas and thoughts that you shared with the audience. And one of the things I've noticed that you have done throughout at least the time period that I've known you, at least a decade, you've done quite a bit of of public speaking and thought leadership content. And before we dive into some of the topics that I want to hit today, where does that come from? Where, where, why the focus there? Because a lot of people, I've always said that marketing is bad at marketing, marketing, I don't think I have to say it twice, but I just think, you know, like a lot of marketers don't take the time to go out and share their recipes of success and inspiration and you consistently have and and what started that and, and how come? Sure. You know, it did start over a decade ago. I was, um, you know, when I first started marketing, I um, had switched over to product marketing. And so I was, uh, IBM had acquired a, a small tech company and I was, at the time working for them in product marketing and we would go around and do road shows 
for IBM and all their different centers and conferences, and I would be presenting and demoing the product. So I, I got very comfortable demoing a product, telling the customer story, understanding the value prop. And then um, a few years later, pivoted over to demand gen or programs management and was supporting a sales team and building pipeline. And technology was definitely smart tech was starting to come about. And I, um, for the first time, bought Eloqua and implemented it. And because I was very comfortable with technology, became a heavy user of it and Mm -hmm. found ways to use it that others weren't using it. And I was sharing that back with the Eloqua team. And they they actually were the first to put me on stage and have me present at conferences and on webinars. And um, I started to push the limits of the product. And then we started to build, you know, alpha product off the platform. And so I got, you know, I thought I was very fortunate because I got to see new innovative technology and be the first use case for them. And then because I was comfortable speaking about it in a product marketing type of way, and I understood the buyer and the audience, I could tell that story. And so I d- it really started because Eloqua put me up on stage and in webinars a lot. And then Demandbase, I think, saw part of that and I became a customer of Demandbase. And then I did the same, really something similar, speaking about how we're using Demandbase, helping them build out product. Um, and I, be, I as I did more and more of that, I got asked to do more and more of that by more uh, MarTech companies. And then um, it kind of snowballed once you become good at it and you're comfortable talking about it and you're at conferences and you're willing to talk about it and write about it, then more ask you to do that. And so yeah. I got lucky. I, I had 20 different technologies at um, DocuSign. And then I went to MongoDB. I had 30 MarTech here at TripActions. We have 46. So I sort of became a heavy user and innovator with MarTech to drive uh, value for businesses. Love it. I Were you like technical in your background growing up? Were you... Were you- you know, are you, are you kind of like me, a little geeky? You know, I graduated San Luis Obispo Cal Poly as an MIS major and a computer science and art minor. Uh, and so I actually took a job. At, my first job was Cisco Systems as an IT engineer. And I was coding or developing for master schedulers. I was part of manufacturing IT at Cisco Systems. And so, yes, I was doing nothing with marketing, but I understood uh, the IT buyer and user uh, and then decided to go to business school at Yale and when I graduated, I pivoted out of IT into marketing IT. There you go. Wow. So I didn't realize we had somewhat similar backgrounds because I, I studied computer science, but I switched to, to marketing. Well, it's really cool. You know, you, this is not your first time being chief marketing officer, but seeing someone with such a strong technical background. And as you said, I mean, I, I watched a lot of those presentations. The first one, I, it must have been an eloquent conference that you were presenting at. And um you have always been fearless when it comes to trying technology. And I remember when Demandbase, when you and I one time were saying, so you know you can do dynamic content and personalization on a website. And you're like, well, how would we do that? And I said, well, we got to write a bunch of JavaScript. And you're like, I got a guy that can do that, which was Ryan. And yeah. he started just writing if-then Java code to display personalized content on a website. So you're way ahead of your time before platforms were platforms. But I, I remember that project. And you're still working with Ryan today, which, which I want to come I back am. to. Five companies yeah. later. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, let's start off with 2020. Uh, people are not going to events. They're barely going out to dinner these days. And you once uh, share with me that as, as much as maybe 40% of the spend has been on events 
in the past for growing the business and, and part of effective marketing channel, even more that uh, in terms of pipeline contribution. So what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely had to make a huge shift uh, away from in-person, which I think um, hurts almost all of us to not have the in-person. There's an accelerant when you build relationships, when you break bread with people, when they get to know you, um, that is not there right now. And so to build pipeline, we've had to get very creative and really use a ton of technology to go fishing for people and to create an environment that still can surprise and delight them and bond them to us as a company, as a brand. And so we've certainly shifted uh, to online virtual events uh, we have um, gone heavy on content, so a lot of success in webinars, office hours. We've built an academy in the last five months, launched 24 courses, so bought technology, bought talent, talent LMS, stood it up, wrote two courses a week, uh, and we're delivering you know expertise and content for our uh, the personas that we target. We launched a community, so we bought vanilla. Uh, forums to build a, a new community to bring everyone together to ask all the questions we're having since COVID hit and travel with our suppliers and partners. Uh, we've been more creative on ads and uh, really heavy on ABM. So we've got Terminus working there um, where we're targeting the account specific to our um, sales team and what they want. We've done direct mail, but we had to make a pivot because clearly we can't send it to their home office uh, or to their office. We have to send it to their homes, which means they have to opt in in a way that makes them, you know, feel um, that their information is still held privately uh, to engage with them. Um, page search has changed a bit. I mean, certainly I'm in business travel and uh, folks aren't searching for business travel software right now. So we've had to give them compelling reasons um, to respond and take action. Um, and a lot of it is what can we do to provide value through content uh, and to get that out there. So certainly email, we're going heavy on email marketing. I think social is even more important. I feel like everyone, I think Twitter's made a comeback. Everyone's on Twitter, these little pop-up towns having conversations. Um, so Twitter, we're heavy on Twitter uh, and just making sure our uh, sales team has the data they need to target the accounts they want. You are active on social media, like you and I, on personal side. I'm less on the social side of my personal. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, what what's, what social channels for Trip has been some of the more effective ones, do you think, in terms of just amplifying awareness? Not necessarily lead generation, although if you, if you know that, great, but just in terms of like reaching your audience. Well, definitely with retargeting. Um, we are doing things with LinkedIn, with Facebook, with Twitter. We paused on Facebook in the past couple of months. There's been a little bit of backlash, I think, and marketers thinking about where they spend money um, with Facebook, um, but definitely on Twitter. Uh, we're, if you think about it, business travel is very visual. And when you go places in cities, so Instagram is a, a big place for us to interact with our, our customers and our prospects and travelers, our end user, because we have an end user component uh, to us, those that are actually using the platform to travel. Um, so I would say, you know, those are the heavy ones that we're on. And then certainly LinkedIn with um, content, the Academy, press releases, um, case studies. The training center is pretty interesting um, new venture. I, I love the fact that you like needed to pivot and then selected 
platform and got into market so quickly. Uh, for those folks that maybe haven't added training to their curriculum or even part of their marketing strategy, what, what's the time frame for typically doing something like that? Or, you know, what, what would you, what would you say to get something like that off the ground? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I definitely think now's the time to do it. And recessions and depressions, uh, community colleges get really busy. People go back and retool. Um, they redefine themselves. They become experts in their field so they can be competitive in the marketplace. And mm-hmm. so, um, and actually, interestingly enough, when this first happened in March, a girlfriend of mine that works at a community college pinged me and she said, well, I'm actually, pr- I think my career is pretty safe working, being a professor. She, and she said, recessions um, tend to, to flood community colleges. And I was like, oh, wow, we need an academy. Like it really sparked the idea of we need to go build this quickly. Um, we actually launched it in about a week with the first course. And then two courses after that, um, we were we went after Talent LMS. It was open source. It was inexpensive and we could stand it up and it had all the features we wanted. Um, there are definitely more robust systems. You can look at uh, Salesforce, Trailhead and others, which... Um, mm-hmm are have many other things beyond just uh, you know their community and everything else those would take longer i would say to implement but if you want to stand something up quickly tools like talent lms are perfect there's badging there's tracking there's certifications and so while uh, ryan webb and systems team was standing up the environment acquiring it procuring it and like i said in about a week the content team was creating content or curating content we already had, but packaging it in a way that would be ideal for the um, uh, for this learning management system or for the academy. And then we just had a goal. Every uh, week we'd post two new pieces of content. So he would get it to us by Thursday. We'd review it over the weekend. We'd launch it Monday. And then um, we invited uh, customers certainly are in there. We've got a lot of prospects. And actually it's, it's really more long tail, but we have pipeline now coming from the academy and people putting their badge out there that they've completed it. And then we also have our customer success managers taking it. We have new employees that are taking it. Sales is taking it because it's very educational on the space, on our product, uh, best practices, policy management. And so um, I think it's a win, not just for customers and prospects, but, but for your company as you onboard new people. Love it. Well, let's talk about your team because I wouldn't, I do see a lot of people work together, um, but it's very intentional with you. You've, uh, and Megan, just so you know, advises, I would say well over a dozen different technology companies. Do I have that? Am I far off on that number? Is it 20, That's right. 30? That's right. In uh, my okay. lifetime, over 25, but uh, over currently. Over lifetime, 25, yeah. but maybe currently 12. So she loves tech and, and clearly has a passion for it. And not only willing to bring tech into her own organization, but as you've heard, is goes on the speaking circuit quite a bit and amplifies her expertise in this area. But one thing that I haven't heard you talk about is this approach to you and your team. So I think you said to me the other day that right now uh, on your team are at least 14 people that you have worked with at other companies before. And so like, I think it's really interesting if you could share like how intentional this was and then some of the benefits around, because let's face it, even though you have been CMO four years at MongoDB, approaching two years at Trip Actions and several years at DocuSign, you're not as transient as most. You you land and stay and grow. Have a little bit of the Midas touch, by the way, Megan, I noticed. Um, so how did this come about? And 
what recommendations do you have for people that, you know, it's, it's all about the team, especially in marketing. And so you can share some of the, the viewpoints of it. But when did this start? Yeah, I would. Um, I mean, it started really as soon as I graduated from uh, Yale with my MBA. I, you know, as I moved from company to company, as you find people that have really strong work ethic, who are that you gel with, that, you, you know, you build a level of trust uh, as you move to the next company, if, it, if their skill set makes sense and that partnership makes sense, you know, and you can convince them to come work with you again, there's nothing better than it. I mean, you just accelerate the business that you're going to when you do that because you have a level of trust. You can feedback is easy. You know, it comes from a good place. You start to create playbooks. Um, you still have to push for innovation because you don't want to ever get stale. So you need to bring always fresh talent, fresh ideas. And, you know, over time, as that team builds, you know, probably six different companies, I've, I've had people working here from the past six different companies. Core to your team, not so much the people, but like, let's say you're a band. I don't know if you're comfortable being the lead singer, but let, lead singer, let, let's follow this analogy. But you're the lead singer. And every band has a drummer, has a guitarist, well, most bands, a bass, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, like, what are those essential roles that you want to make sure that you have in that band that you take with you from company to company? Because again, let's, let's, the context is you can hire lots of different people in marketing, but you doing this for as long as you have been doing it and bringing very select people with you along the way clearly there's certain roles that are just critical to the band's success. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say web and systems uh, and the ability to do integrations, operations, understanding Salesforce. I think that's one critical role. Uh, I think the second critical role is a designer, uh, someone who everything that leaves the marketing department and goes public needs to look good. So if you can afford to hire that one designer creative versus having to outsource that. I think you can move much faster and keep on brand. Um, and then product marketing, uh, and, you know, and then marry that with a demand gen person. If I get a fourth band member, you know, it's really those core yeah. um, functions. And then, you know, corporate communications, PR would be the next band member I would bring in. Um, but if you can write and you can um, syndicate and then you can measure, uh, you can, you know, you can do quite a lot in, in marketing with those skills, but I, it's very hard to get someone in web systems ops that can also be the designer that could also mm -hmm. be someone that does product marketing. Like those skill sets are hard to find in one person. Um, and yeah. so I think you kind of need one in each of those areas and then you can pretty much do anything. You just need to prioritize what that is. Love it. You know, and I'm going to go with conductor instead of lead singer. I'd rather put you up there on the podium with your... I think that has the term, the little conducting stick. I just don't remember. I was a saxophone player, so played in a band, but but never the conductor. Um, yeah, if you guys haven't connected with Megan, give Megan an outreach on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll be one of her 15,000 plus followers. <laughs> Megan Eisenberg, M-E-A-G-E-N Eisenberg, E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G. The reason I say that is make a lot of people, a lot of our clients who talk to us want to always know ideas around department structure, where to make the first investments and and where to add resources to it. So I think it's great for you to, you know, then bounce ideas off of you besides ourselves. I uh, want to chat with you about um, marketing programs in terms of 
the balance between digital and offline with events out of the mix. Are you guys doing things in terms of direct mail or other channels of, of marketing to reach prospects as well as customers? Yes, certainly. I mean, we're definitely going heavy on digital um, ads that are targeted to accounts. We're doing direct mail, but in a different way, we're finding ways to engage with them to get the right address. Uh, We are doing a lot of office hours where we bring CFOs together. Every other week, we have about 80 CFOs that come together and discuss topics that matter or that are relevant right now, not about us, but we're providing that sort of forum for them. Same with travel managers. Uh, We're also doing some fun things with wine socials. So, you know, normally your sales rep would take people out to build relationship, but we're, you know, taking it to their houses. We're sending them kits so they can, you know, taste some wines, hear a connoisseur, kind of bond over something different. Um, Because I do Mm -hmm. think you can get fatigue online looking at screens all day long. So what can we do to surprise and and delight and and get our you know the attention of customers uh, and we, we we did one project that I thought was a lot of fun for existing customers we called it Project Sunshine uh, we sent out uh, picnic baskets and we had just a little note in there that was like take a break socially distance but take a break at the near park you know get outside a little bit get some you know vitamins vitamin D uh, and we got really amazing response back it made people really happy. I think that's part of how you associate someone to your brand. Um, someone got engaged over the, one of their picnic outings um, with their picnic oh, wow. basket. So it was, you know, that kind of stuff is where you get to be creative. The art part that I think you you're more likely to bond with a vendor or a solution when you do something creative like that that sticks out that gets their heart. Because I think if you get their heart, their mind will follow. Assuming you're delivering mm-hmm. value, of course, your product has to work. Um, but yeah, so we're trying to find creative ways to engage. You, um, you've done both types of companies and types meaning public and private in your career. I just had Henry Shook on the program, who's a founder CEO of, uh, zoom info and they just went public. And last time I checked worth about $14 billion as a company, which is amazing. Yeah. And you've been there. In fact, I remember when I was talking to you back in the days of DocuSign and we we're talking about career journeys and you were very excited about the the potential with them going public uh, and other companies. And I'm, I'm curious now that you got what you asked for being a CMO of a public company, what, uh, what do you think the differences are between the roles, private and public, and whether you prefer one over the other, if you, if you can say that? Well, I guess you're private yeah. now. It's okay. Yeah, we're private. I mean... <laughs> I certainly think it's easier to get acquired, at least from the marketing front. Um, but it's exciting and amazing to go take a company public. And so, um, you know, while one's easier, the other one, ha- you know, MongoDB had an amazing exit and is still doing amazing in the market. So um, to get to have that experience, to, we did at NASDAQ, um, you know, it, it's a very different route. And I've been at multiple companies that have been acquired. Um, so... Uh, you know, I've seen both sides. I think the best part of a company's life cycle is the part where they're private and you scale them, or you take them mm-hmm. from 300 employees to 1300 or 2000 and you take them public. You're, it's that building, it's that getting the team. You've got to hire the right people. You got to put the right technology and systems in place and the right processes and figure out what's, what it takes to take a market. 
And that yeah. for me is a, a very fun part of company's life cycle. You know, when you're public, mm-hmm. I think you shift, you know, it's you're always doing the three things. You always have to have product marketing, corporate comms or brand and demand gen. I think uh, I tend to enter companies when they need growth scale demand gen set in place and the right things to establish themselves as a credible player in a global landscape. And so there's a lot of things that you do around the website, around the mechanics and the partnership with sales, around how you partner with HR and the product team and how you build that brand and how you connect with Mm -hmm. your customers once they're customers. Um, I think as you shift into a public company landscape, it you while you need everything that you have, all those functions of marketing, brand becomes really important. And it's it's very, you know, it's public, you're doing filings, there's a lot more rules, not that there aren't always rules, but, you know, it's a, it is a different, I think, game uh, in the public side of it. Your teams get quite large. Um, mm-hmm. You become a multi-product company. So there's, you know, figuring out how to, to shift from one product to multiple products, how you support that, how do you go to market, how does the overall brand change the players, the personas that you're going after? Does it land and expand? Um, you know, what are those models that you're thinking of? And you have to constantly, you know, your every year need to have growth on the base from the year before, which is part of the reason why you expand in different products or you acquire other companies uh, as you're growing. They fit in, in the portfolio or the strategy of your company. And so it definitely uh, it changes certainly as you get larger. The moves that you've made. You have gone, let, let's take trip actions where you are now. Um, you joined a company that focuses on travel management, as you say, from booking to payments. Uh, there's competitors in this space, uh, even DocuSign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yet Fearless Megan joins them as their CMO to take on that well-entrenched competition uh, and, and looking at the success of DocuSign, you had some major competitors in that space too. So how do you, or advice you have your approach or advice on where you go? What, what, what type of opportunity has been right for you? What are you looking for in that company team or product services market? What have you? I mean, I think the best things are, um, one massive addressable market. Online business travel is 1.5 trillion. Massive. Even post-COVID, if it's 50%, it's, you know, $800 billion market. And that's just travel. Then you add in payments and expense management and all the other things you can go into. So one, I think massive market matters, um, certainly. And, And two, are you joining a disruptive technology? The travel management space has not been effectively disrupted in over 20 years. If you think about, I mean, Amex GBT is like, Amex is like 100 years old, but all of these major players, Concur, Agencia, they were all born before the iPhone. So they weren't designed on modern technology. They weren't designed around what we experience and expect as users. Now, we want the experience of going to a consumer site. We want an app. We want to be able to chat and self-serve and to have immediate gratification and the support levels that we expect. And so you know, find a space that hasn't been disrupted and then find a product that people love at the early stage. The one thing this company had when I joined and still does is a really high NPS and a really high customer stat, which is very unusual in business travel. And so 
Um, then you, you look at the investors because I feel like they're smarter than me. They're making good bets. So who are the investors or VCs that are on the company and that have invested in the vision that the CEO has? Do they have a crazy, audacious vision for the company that you can rally around? And then certainly, could I add value? to the company if I joined it? Did I know what it would take to get them to the next stage? And so that fact all factored into joining trip actions. And there's a lot of similarities to MongoDB. You know, the Oracle has been around 40 plus years, incumbent in mm-hmm. the database space, massive space, you know, one of the largest from an infrastructure standpoint, $45 billion market going to 60 billion when I joined. Uh, and with the shift to the cloud, um, you know, MongoDB had a good product, had you know, a, a large market and good momentum. And they brought in a new CEO that was a, you know, a strong leader who knew how to build a team, very good VCs on MongoDB. Uh, and I thought I could add value and bring a team to help them go. They were 300, you know, 396 employees, I think when I joined and scaling them over four years, um, all new leaders. So I think uh, my advice is find a space that's massive that needs to be disrupted. And we have 4,000 customers, and we're still less than 1% of the overall TMC or travel market, uh, OBT plus yeah. TMC travel market. We have a long way to go. Even if the market shrinks in half, uh, we can take a lot of market share. 4,000 customers, 2,904 G2 reviews, uh, 4.7. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I quote, I scrolled to one just to see what the very first, very easy to navigate through, revolutionized travel management, stress-free. So you're saying great product and a huge market, good company, good culture. So you have product marketing underneath you as part of your responsibilities. Have you ever been a CMO where you didn't have that responsibility? No. Okay. It's, uh, It's often the case, as you know, and it just depends on oftentimes the company in terms of their go to market strategy. I... I sometimes have not had product marketing in my previous roles before, and it's um, it's a real important dynamic from a go-to-market strategy to have kind of all that under one um, discipline. I want to ask you a personal question, and I'm not trying to give a timeline to this, but again, I've always been a big fan. I think your, um, I think your leadership and your fearless attitude towards growing businesses is great. Is is Megan going to be a CEO someday? Uh, I don't think so. Right now, I, I'm enjoying being a CMO. It's only the second time I've been a CMO. I think it's a really hard job. I think that it's ever-changing. There's never, mm-hmm. you just can't get bored. There's too many things you have to do. I always say it's like plates circling around and you you get them spinning at the circus and you get over here and all of a sudden this one starts dropping again. Your competitors you know, make moves. Your new product gets released. Um, you acquire a company, you know, there's just, there's so much going on in marketing. Uh, and I love, I do really love it a ton that I can't, I don't, I don't see that at least not in the next five years or 10 years. Let's talk about our kids. We have daughters, lots of them between us. Yes. <laughs> um, mine are much older than you, both in marketing that may not come as a surprise, but, um, what would you tell them from your learnings? your inspiration, someone who's way further down the road in their career and had the success that you've had, learned what you've had, both from a technology, creative growth. What are some of the thoughts that you share to people that are listening or early on in their career and maybe want to be CMO someday, um, aren't there yet, early on in their career 
or just just climbing the ranks? Yeah, definitely have lots of thoughts on this. Um, I have three daughters. Youngest is in kindergarten, oldest in fifth. Right now, I'm big on reading, certainly. I think that's the foundation for everything. Uh, And uh, for myself, I've read a ton. And if I go back and look on Amazon, all the books I've ordered since Amazon existed, I have just read a lot of books around leadership, around marketing, around being a parent, around, um, you know, Excel for dummies, Salesforce guides, all these different technologies. I just read a ton and I continue to read a ton. Uh, And anytime there was a new business book out, I would read it. And I I think over time you collect that knowledge and I might not remember everything from every book, but there's a gut feeling that starts to happen and you start to make better decisions and you have pattern recognition. So I think over time you get faster at making decisions, which allows you to take on more. So I think certainly reading is key. Second, uh, do everything you can to be amazing at whatever job you're doing. When I babysat, I didn't put the TV on. I didn't set them in front of a bunch of junk food. I was playing with them, teaching them to read. I was doing arts and crafts. I was definitely entertaining and educating those children. And I would get, you know, get lots of jobs. I always had work I could do. I had a family that wanted to take me to be an au pair. I ended up being an au pair for a year to watch their kids. Um, be the best at your job. And so no matter what it is, if you're waitressing, be the best waitress. If you're in marketing, do your job well uh, and do more. Look for problems around the the office and things going on. Go solve them, even if you're not asked to. Certainly do what you're asked to do, but take on more and surprise and delight your manager. Because if your manager sees you can have the capacity to not only do the job they gave them, but also do more, they're going to give you more responsibility. So I always moved into a company. Maybe I hired you know ArcSight to do demand gen, but then I, I took on events and I took on web and systems. Same thing, DocuSign, I went in for demand gen, but I ended up running the creative team, the web team, the events team, you know, the European team. You get more responsibility when you do a great job at the one you're doing, and then you can also take on more. Yeah, If you run around saying you're busy all the time and you can't take on any more, you've hit your ceiling. So you've got to figure that out. If you want to, if you want to take on, you've got to learn to take on while being balanced. Don't be crazy all the time, but that's telling you something. You haven't figured out how to prioritize right, how to be efficient, how to execute fast so you can take mm-hmm. on more. And then, of course, building relationships. People don't get, you know, to get promoted above your peers, you have to have good relationships with your peers and with others outside of your organization. And other orgs have to see you in that role or they're going to push back on the promotion. When you're getting director level, VP level, the rest of the organization, meaning the other C-level execs, have to see you in that role because there's definitely a discussion as you go up uh, if you're the right person for the role, if they see you in that spot or not. So I think you're, you're networking, you're adding value to others in the org. You see an issue in customer success or sales, try and go solve it. You know, go mm-hmm. interview other groups, find out what they're doing. Can you add value to them or deliver value or solve a problem? I mean, we're all hired into companies to solve problems. Um, otherwise, they don't need the headcount, right? They don't need you if there's not big problems to go solve. Uh, so try to yeah. be that person. And then I have one more. If you're the person I know I can always give something to and you'll solve it, it's like a hairy problem. But I just like, okay, this person, I know if I give it to them, they're going to go figure it out because nobody else is figuring it out. And they're not going to come back and tell me all the reasons why they couldn't get it done. They're going to find a way to solve it. I love those people. I will keep giving them projects and I will promote them because that's what I need on my team. Someone who can just go get stuff done and solve it. 
And I see that trait in so many of the people on your team, for sure. The ones that I know. Uh, great, great advice. Great advice. I, I'd, I'd want to cut the podcast to that sound, those sound bites right there because it, it is. I think about the advice I've been giving my daughters, and it it supports that. And really, you know, folks at Demandian, I look for it is you take anything on, anything on. Um, Justin, who's editing this podcast right now, you know, came to Demandian, and Tiffany and the team, whatever we throw at Justin, he figures out, and he does, and he does well, and. He always has a can-do attitude. You know, the, your, your favorite expression, Justin, as you're listening to this is, sounds good. That sounds good. Always positive. Always attitude. Let's try that. Let's do that. If something doesn't work, we fail forward. But normally what we do works. And uh, he's, he's willing to learn new tools, new technologies, try new things. And sometimes you have those people, they don't grow very far in life that have the attitude like, oh my God, my boss gave me like this extra project. Like, I don't have time for this. I'm not getting paid anymore to doing this. This is Jennifer's job or this is Jack's job. Why am I doing this? Those people don't advance in their career. You know, they really don't. And they put up that wall. So great, great advice. And whether, you know, whether it's reading or learning, I'm absolutely a student and just listening to you and talking about your background, you can tell you hustle. Like Meg probably never has her heels on the ground. Probably hard for you to relax. I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot. Right? Yeah, it's in. Um, it's one of the reasons that you've been so successful. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not writing you off as a CEO. I think Meg, you're incredibly talented, great leader, uh, and and have strong following. So it's whatever you do. And and if being a CEO or founder of a company is not your thing, um, that's okay because that's you're doing your thing and you really love doing it. And and it shows. Uh, before I let you go, I would. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, back on trip actions. So we we were talking a little bit offline between you were saying that in COVID time period, it's a good time to reevaluate the tools that you're using for travel management and who should use trip actions um, that isn't doing travel. Like we're, we're classic uh, book it online, turn in an expense report. That's demand gen. So we're probably a prospect for you guys. Um, but but big market, like you said, who's who's not doing this and who should? Um, what what yeah. should we be looking for as, as leaders and managers of people who have travelers? Yeah. So I would say um, we have been going up market when I joined. Uh, we were uh, commercial just about going into mid market. Um, so when I say low end, you spend 150000 a year on travel uh, up to 200 million a year on travel. So today we actually announced Enterprise Edition, which is any company that really spends over 15 million travel, but global travel travelers around the world. Um, recently we had AECOM join 40, you know, 40,000 plus US travelers. Um, so we um, support a very wide range uh, of uh, companies. Uh, we have a lot of tech, but we also have a lot of retail manufacturing companies. Um, we've got healthcare systems, um, you know, a pretty diverse group of companies as you start to go up with the, you know, with the, with the customers. So, um, you know, we offer all the inventory you would see and the experience you would expect from a consumer site, but in a business tool. And we marry that to what you would need from a business as far as policy, uh, all the stuff you want to do to, 
to manage travel. So all the reporting, uh, more really in the last five months, a ton around duty of care features, locating mm-hmm. travelers, blocking travel to regions that are of issue, um, you know, tracking those unused tickets. Because we're one platform where you book and we're a TMC with agents, um, we could quickly pull reports for uh, finance to understand what is their, you know, what's out there, what, what do they have coming to them from credits, and then we built it in the tool to automatically apply it when you go to book. So no more finding that email, mm-hmm. that code. It shows up in the system as you're booking, auto applies it, so our customers will get that. Um, that huge, that's a benefit where if you're on any of these other platforms, they're disparate systems. The agency is separate from the booking tools. You can't actually do that. Um, so that's a huge advantage for our customers right now. And then we hook into the CDC and John Hopkins. So we're pulling in all the COVID information, all the regulations by state and country, quarantine information, reproduction numbers. Uh, so the traveler can see it. And if you're orchestrating the program, the travel manager can have all that information so they can also determine what com- countries and states they want to restrict um, or open up, depending on what they're seeing there. So the benefit of being a technology first company is all this integrations and product we've built and how fast we can build it. We're about a 900 person company. And so we're not encumbered. Legacy players have a lot of really debt, real estate. Um, you know, they're large businesses around the world. And um we were fortunate enough to take cash and we did. So we've got a pretty long runway and we've got cash burned down and we're a startup in a way. So we're agile and our engineers are building. So um, it's, it's fascinating to watch. Uh, I certainly did not think travel would completely stop ever in my lifetime. So that was sort of a yeah. punch in the gut, but um, the good news is it won't be there forever. And we're already seeing some recovery week over week. Uh, with uh, with our customers starting to travel, we're seeing executives travel, we're seeing sales folks travel, engineers that are out there working on like cars out in the field or, or um, hardware out in the field. So it's starting to pick up. Love it. I asked Meg that question for two reasons. One, for selfish reasons for learning about travel management, because I was thinking about all those tickets that have been unused this year that we have to reuse. But you heard something. You heard someone who's got extreme product knowledge, knowledge of the market, knowledge of the competition, knowledge of what the company's value proposition is. And, you know, make your sharings about your your leadership and bringing people together uh, and in the passion that you have for technology and creative. Whole package, everything you need in today's modern CMO. And congratulations on all your career success. It's really been fun to watch from that very first time that you were on stage to seeing all the accomplishments that you had. And I think the the biggest thing is that of all the people that I know that either work alongside you or work with you, just the absolute um, great respect and, and appreciation they have for you. So give yourself a pat on the back because you deserve it. All that hard work um, is paying off. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast in your pod there. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to send you my, my list of, of tech. Yes, for, I need uh, it. You, want to build that, you will have that. And for any of you, like I said, give, give Meg a connection on LinkedIn. You're going to have ideas uh, or questions in your career. She's a great sounding board. Hey, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I mentioned earlier Demand Gen TV. If you hadn't checked out the videos that we're making there, go to demandgen.tv. That's our channel on YouTube. And like Meg said, we are committed to education. We want to make you guys uh, top of your game. And so we share the recipes that we use here at Demand Gen for how Demand Gen does Demand Gen, as well as a bunch of MarTech demos and other content coming your way, both here on the podcast 
and on YouTube. But that'll do it. Thanks again, Meg. Give my best to the team and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 